Howdy, y'all. Welcome back to the Red Ass Podcast, Episode 5. This is Rob White, Class of 14. And this is Roy May, Fighting Tech Ed, Class of 2015. Uh, you know, what, former Yale leader? I don't know. How, how do we introduce ourselves? Yale boy extraordinaire, barbecue no. connoisseur. Uh, big Bullshitta. Big. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, it's, uh, yeah, man, we, we represent two classes that are obviously right next to each other, but between the two of us, um, uh, you know, uh, I'm class of 15, but if I'd come straight out of high school, I'd been class of 01. So it's Rob a, and I have a pretty big gap in age. It's a, it's a generational gap to an extent. I mean, you're definitely right on the edge of those Gen Xers, and I'm sitting here squarely in the millennial, which is always a joy. Yeah, well, it's – well, you know what? It's well, it's not so much a generation. It's close. It's um, close. You know, I, it's, I guess I'm technically a Gen X, but uh, – I always grew up. I'm I'm a lot like uh, the the generation before me a little mm-hmm. bit. Just as yeah, I, I did this whole generational study thing in one of my ID classes, and and it was kind of fascinating. Um, you know, I, I actually learned something from something I did in school, so that's a plus. That's good. <laughs> but uh, but what we are like separation wise, and since we're gonna cover this topic, we may as well just get into it and get it over with. Right. <laughs> um, we are we are definitely uh, a generation apart as far as just um, Aggie sports. That's very true. Um, very and true. and really even further separated than that because with me growing up in such a you know kind of an Aggie centric home, mm-hmm. um, and then you know you know, you grew up growing up in New Mexico, not. It's not like you grew up, you know, singing the Warhammer at three years old. No, not even a little bit. <clears throat> so I suppose since it's just going around, we should address it right. because nothing says peak off season like a pandemic. So and <laughs> and so so like the the most peak off season topic ever would certainly come back around during a pandemic, and that is of course the rivalry coming back between us and the Sips. Oh my God! It's back. We got to get the yeah. gay back. If you're scared, yeah. whatever. Yeah, no. Yeah, we're back just, again. It, just so many people just, oh, just spewing garbage out of their mouth, man. <laughs> it's yeah, and, and every year you're like, dude, I'm not gonna get back into this. I'm, I'm not. I'm not addressing this. And then somebody, and and year after year, I'm fascinated because someone will say something regarding the topic, and this is really any topic that, right. that kind of rotates around, but they'll say something that's completely so asinine that you have to get pulled into it to tell them how big of morons they are. Mm-hmm. And then you get done with it, and you have like that, you know, Twitter's remorse where like the next day you're, man, I don't even know why I got into that, wasted my energy, did this, you know. And everybody's online persona is their whole persona. So you're like, you know, how do I make myself look? Right. But, uh, but, but then again, it comes back around. And every single year, sh- man, every single freaking year, it feels like. And, sh- and not, not to mention, of course, you know, it's the same tired arguments every single year. Whenever it comes to this rivalry game, oh, so and so's scared to play whoever. So and so's got better recruiting. So and so's doing this or this or that, and that's we, the epitome of this rivalry right now, and it sucks. 
We left them in the we left them in the rear view. We don't need to throw them a bone. They're too little brothers too scared to play us. We're freaking Texas University, blah blah freaking blah. Right. And it's just all of the talking points. They're just, all they are. It's the same talking points recycled with different punctuation and verbs and adjectives. But it's literally the same crap every year. And so we're gonna address it. We're not gonna dwell on this because it drives me batty. But <laughs> But it's honestly, I just I get so sick of seeing it. And and with every year, I will say one thing I've noticed: every year, the national media latches on just a little bit more. Right. You know, and especially right now, where they just have nothing to freaking write about. Of course, the national writers are going to swoop in and say, "Oh yeah, this is blah blah blah," and so they get to pin their articles and right. And then there's then there's the regular hit pieces that get put out by like the DMN and all that garbage. Mm-hmm. And and so it's. So maybe we should just talk through the talking points and we sure. can both give our opinions because I didn't do any research and I can tell you all the talking points. Right. So, <laughs> it's, man, it's so let's uh, it's what, what what should we start with? Is it? Uh, well, we can. Always oh, oh no, here we go. Yeah. This is my, this is my favorite one because this is the justification on both sides for the people that want it back. Well, all the other sports are already doing it. Sure, and let's go ahead and analyze said sports that are playing the game. You know, yeah. A&M, you know, A&M baseball has was more or less the program that really kind of took the the lamp with that. You know, they took the torch and decided to run with it in 2016, and really that was the first major event that you saw uh, after the split was in 2014 when we played Rice at the Rice Regional. Uh, and it was us in Texas, uh, the three games that we played were the three highest attended games in the history of that ballpark, which, you know, at that point really reestablished, no, these two programs obviously still was, care enough about each other. That was right? that was the Rice Regional at Reckling, right? It was, yeah. Right. And, and if you know, and if you're a college baseball fan, you know, and if you're not, I'll just put it this way. Rice has, and you wouldn't believe it, outside of academics, Rice athletically has a storied baseball program. No doubt. Very it's, good program. It's, it's right now they're in a situation where the head coach, I personally think he just stayed too long, but the program that he built at a university that um, they, there, there are no athletic waivers kind of thing. Rice operates a lot like an Ivy league. If you can right. get in um, right on and it's awesome. If you play sports, it's one of the reasons why, why rice has always been a doormat for football. Yeah. Because because the academic requirements to get into Rice were always incredibly high, but but so to set those you know to set those records at Reckling, um, you know obviously like you said it says something about it. Not to mention you're talking about three of the old school Southwest Conference right, you know, exactly. foes as well. So all right, so that's the talking point of all the other sports are doing it, and and what's crazy it's and, and there's uh, I'm gonna just kind of play devil's advocate across these points. Sure. So baseball really kind of kind of lit the torch and went with it. Right. Um, I think relatively speaking for the SIPs between baseball and football, baseball is absolutely the much better program over history. Oh, no doubt. That's team. not even a debate. In fact, in fact, as much as it sickens me to say, the SIPs are almost really a blue blood in college baseball. Oh, they, no they, doubt. They've had such a phenomenal history of baseball. Um, you know, it makes me want to barf, but it's still the truth. But 
so re-engaging and, and obviously A&M has a, a storied history of baseball as well. We work, we're a well above average program, no doubt. but to, to put them back on the schedule, you know, that's a non-conference game. And even if it was just a one-off or a, what was it one year they played, I think that they play uh, at Olsen and then the next day they drove to Austin. They played like a two game offset or maybe so I'm we haven't remembering done that where. I mean, that, I mean, if you had to ask me, and this is just my personal opinion. I think that A&M in Texas needs to be either, you know, every single year, either a Tuesday, Wednesday, midweek where we trade back and forth, or we do one Tuesday here, one Tuesday there. And we do that every single year because both programs can benefit from it uh, at that point. And I know people will argue, oh, well, attendance at this one, attendance at that one. But that's exactly people what are- we did. People would argue if we brought the New York Yankees in on a Tuesday for a scrimmage. All right. right. So people are going (laughs) to argue. Um, But I see I'm a big proponent of the Tuesday, Wednesday uh, back to back. I think it's phenomenal. Um, I think it's a great idea. I think you'll pack the parks both nights. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. You do Tuesday at Olsen, Wednesday at Dish, and both stadiums will be sold out. The only other way that I could see doing it, because I like the rotating, is if you made it a, a standard non-conference weekend where you, but you still rotated. So one year it's Olson sips Olson, and then the next year it's Dish Olson Dish. You right. know, that's so, the way it used I, to be. I, I I love the traveling. Yeah, because I, I mean that those are the days I remember where you get this game, then you got to travel the next day up to Austin. So. But so baseball took the torch, and I realized that a non-conference game um, isn't going to totally destroy your RPI, and it's not going to totally boost your RPI because it's one game; it's not a weekend series. So even though Texas baseball, uh, you know, is not recently, but you know, obviously Texas baseball is Texas baseball. Um, you know, they I think they were that's a bigger step. But the problem with football, if if you relate it to you know bringing the rivalry back on the gridiron is that one game a year can literally make or break your schedule. Absolutely. And it's just one of those things where it, if you know if it's a rivalry game, I've seen some Georgia-Georgia Tech games that were awful close, and Georgia mm-hmm. Tech had no right being in these games. Uh, it's just how rivalry games work, but I also think that's the fun of it. So, all right, so that's talking point number one. Oh, the other sports, you know, if everybody jumped off, you know, exactly. Brooklyn Bridge. Uh-huh. So let's see. What are some of the other talking points? Okay, here this right. is my. So the Texas Texas took their ball uh, and went home. Or if you're if you're wearing uh, baby uh, poo t-shirts, A um, and M took their ball and left. That's and that's literally a talking point from both sides. They said they didn't want to be here anymore, so screw them. And we said, well, they want to control their conference, and so we left for a better better place to so screw them. And just so many children on both sides. That are oh, so old. Yeah. They're, they're just too old to be children about this. Well, sure. And see, all you have to do is go back, you know, really to when this whole thing really kicked off, you know, 2010, 2011. Obviously, you know, there were talks in 10, but, you know, it never really materialized. Uh, but, you know, 2011 came rolling around. And absolutely nobody thought Texas A&M would ever leave. Oh, A&M's not going to step out of the shadow. They're not going not to without Texas going with them. Path, you know, they're <laughs> going to sit back and continue to be a tier two school in this conference. Be a tier two school in regards to you know versus Texas within the state. And they just decided the leadership at the time, Arbo and Lofton, 
love that man. Uh, it decided everybody. That, I can it, only think of one person on the planet that doesn't love him. Yeah, it all it had to do was say, "Hey, we are willing to take the next step." And in reality, do I think that the conference move uh, has panned out? I think long term, it's going to be a great move for us. We're already seeing more exposure nationally. And we're seeing more exposure across pretty much every sport, um, with maybe the exception of men's basketballs continued to struggle a little bit. But you know, football's going to get there. Well, and baseball it, has proved so much. But but men's basketball is, a, is is a bit of a one. I mean, some sports have have been good. Some sports have have had a little tougher go of it. But I think when you look as a whole, so men's basketball is a bit of a one off, just because right. the whole situation with Billy Kennedy that that. You know, as a as a leader, having somebody in that situation that also was in his medical situation—that's a—it it really is. It's it's just the ultimate extra factor in keeping him around another year. And um, but uh, but I think as a whole, everybody's doing better because you got to realize we joined the conference and shortly thereafter the SEC network gets launched. Right. And Huge. and and not to mention it gets launched with us on a Thursday night at South Carolina. And we beat the piss out of them. So, you know, yeah. that made it awesome. Yeah, it was, you know, if, if that wasn't the very first thing, one of the biggest exposures out there, then, I mean, there were so many people tuned into that game. And the funny thing is, man, ratings are ratings. If you're, if you're watching because you're an ag or you're watching because your, you're a Gamecock, or if you're watching because you hope one of them fails, right. like your dumb ass still turned on the TV and added to the ratings. Well, and see, that's half the battle with a lot of these Texas people, and really Aggies, too. You know, we are used to watching our opponent play, and Lord knows we absolutely give a damn if one wins or one loses, because we're going to sit there and tweet about Texas losing. Ha ha, suck it, Sips, you lost to Kansas. Congratulations. Well, I think, think yeah, but the entire sporting world tweeted about that. Oh, that was Um, awesome. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's still, still one of my favorites. Still awesome. No, it's, it, but when you see that, that's how you know. Um, yeah. And so the argument that all we're doing is giving them a lifeline when they're stuck in a conference that, honestly, I don't, I just don't see a true future for in its form. And even if they just added two teams, they don't. Not even right it, now. It's, it's, it's incredibly too regional to basically Texas and Oklahoma. And, and you could say the Heartland going up to Kansas, but. I mean, what? So, our conference is the Big Twelve Tornado Alley. I mean, that's really See, that's, they that's lost what you a are. Lot of the, they lost a lot of the meat and potatoes, unfortunately, when Nebraska left. You know, absolutely, and, and not to mention Colorado. Colorado. You know, good program when it came to football. I mean, they were yeah it's, mediocre. Our, Colorado, whether they're good or bad, Colorado always has good optics as a football right. program. I don't really. That just is what it you know, was at the old Rashawn Salam uh, mm. days. Yeah, right. it's. Um, but I saw something interesting. Uh, it was Pete Burns. He, he was on a show and he was talking about the lifeline of the PAC 12. He said, realistically, what's going to happen is the PAC 12 needs to dissolve, you know, into, uh, he said the big 10, but if you think about it, the PAC 12 splitting and dissolving into the big 10 and the big 12 equally, and then some of the PAC 12 schools just not making the jump. Um, I think that's where you end up with, with your four, you know, your power four conferences. And then at that point you have to wonder, and I'm basically just about quoting Peter Burns, but I I love Peter Burns. Um, So, you know, at that point, maybe those four conferences look at the NCAA, give them two, you know, big old middle fingers and, you know, 
thanks. Thank you. Know, it's it's been real and it's been fun, but I can't say it's been real fun because right. the NCA the NCA is just an empty paper sack. That's all there is <laughs> to it. But yeah. all right, so let's let's. I'm not going to talk about this for the whole hour because I will just start to get incensed. Sure, just cause, sure. But we can. I'd say we can certainly so, wrap it up. Great. So your opinion? Do you like? Do you want the rivalry back? Do you not want the rivalry back? And reasons why? And I don't care. I don't care what your opinion is. I don't care what your reasons are because. Right. I, you know what? I think I've seen every single one of them. It's like finding the end of the internet. Right. I think I've I think I've now read every reason and both why <laughs> and why not for this. So okay, so in my personal opinion, if the game were to come back, I will be one of the first people in line to buy a ticket to go watch it and not be scared of the fact that we're playing the game because being scared. And if you're one of these people that are scared to lose, don't be that person. You know. Playing the game is half the battle. So, you know, if you lose, is, then you have the opportunity to play is, again. And is that's it, is the it, beauty of it. I mean, outside of like when you're nine years old and playing video games, is it fun to know that you're going to win every game you play? Yeah, it's no fun at all. I mean, if that's that was the, the case, what's the what's the point of you know, right. yeah, what's, what's the old George Carlin thing? He's the undisputed heavyweight champion. Well, if it's undisputed, then what's all the fighting about? <laughs> and so, I'm like, yeah, but... Needless to say, if we played the game, I'm going to be in on it, and I'm going to absolutely show up and show out and be obnoxious, yell at people, and have a good time. Because I go to games at Olsen, and you know what? Those are some of the most fun games we play, because we are going to get into it. And if Olsen is in the indication, I can't wait to see what Kyle Field would look like. But... On the same token, if the game were to not come back, I'm not going to shed too many tears because of, let's just face it, the history that surrounds a lot of Texas games and, let's just say, convenient ways that they can win a football game. Yeah, they're so they're just trash. There's um, so many. <laughs> look, so many great all examples. Right. So, so if I have this right, you are basically the, the Switzerland of this argument. You refuse to pull either side very well. Okay. Um, don't be harboring any sips. You, you're not that neutral. No, no um, harboring. All right. So, no all right. So here's how I look at this. And I kind of take uh, the Billy Lucci approach. Um, you know, as for right now, we're good, man. Right. Um, it's our schedules out there. You don't, you don't add, you know, everybody likes to give the sec crap for non-conference schedule, but nobody out there is playing two and three P five teams. No, um, you know, in their non-conference, certainly not the big 12. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, they don't play two or three major P five teams in conference, but, (laughs) but you know, our schedule's full and we get around a schedule and everybody can put on their big boy pants and put away their little crying tissues. Maybe we can all get it figured out, but I think the first time you'll see it happen, and right now trajectory-wise, I think Texas probably needs to do a little more stepping up to the plate and getting back online with our trajectory, um, is that it's going to happen in a major bowl game because especially if – man, especially if it's one of the New Year's Six or, or, or right. even more Could than you that. you the Cotton Bowl with A&M and I mean, Texas? Yeah, that's exactly what Billy said. Just, there would be no way – or even a Sugar Bowl. There would be no way oh, where they either. could pass – Yeah, there would be no way they could pass that up. Um and then I think if, if you see that occur, that opens the door for, okay, well, apparently this can happen and we can do this and it'll go. But as for, so I, I would love for it to, to be back on just for my selfish reasons because right. there's nothing better than the banter with my friends and my mom's sip side of the family. Like 
man, it, it just makes Thanksgiving, you know. Yeah. Uh, and, and obviously it wouldn't be, you know, Thanksgiving weekend anymore, although I don't see why we couldn't do that. Sure. But uh, but say, for, self, will, for selfish yeah. reasons, yeah, for mm -hmm. selfish reasons, I would love it back. But I think the prudent answer is, you know what, for now our schedule is full, man, because we right. didn't take our ball and go home. We've we found a, a better opportunity for ourselves that honestly you were holding us back from. And sure. we're not like, we're not homeboys, man. We're not attached at the hip like that. So if you want to stay here in the garbage 12 thinking you run it when in fact, Oh, you just curb stomps you every year. And even, and even when you manage to pull off an upset up in the, you know, up in Dallas, you know, at the state fair against the Sooners, they still end up beating your butt and, and winning the conference anyways. Right. So it becomes a completely meaningless win. Um, other than maybe the trip to get all like the deep fried Twinkies and Oreos, which makes it completely, <laughs> exactly. it's a very meaningful trip. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, it, 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 that's, they're, they're just so happy with the status quo. And the problem they're having that I see is that, OU truly athletically is running that conference. And I understand that there are oh, other yeah. sports that some teams are good at, but here's a catch, man. And this is always the, the end of it. Football runs the roost. Mm-hmm. You know, rules the roost, and if OU's winning football, then, dude, I get basketball, March Madness, and its popularity in baseball, but, bro, football's king, and that's all there is to it. Um, you know, Michigan's baseball program is really good, and uh, and if you were to take a trip to Michigan, would you do it in the spring or in the fall, knowing you have a guaranteed trip to a game? Oh, definitely in the fall. You're, you're, you're going to the big house, no matter how good Michigan's baseball team is. So, <laughs> so, so it's – man, right now, as far as I'm concerned, it's one of those, like – We'll make time for it when we can make time for it. You're neither uh, you're neither a priority, um, but nor are you like we're also not just shut completely separate path right now. There was a fork in the road. You guys stayed on the same path, and we took the exit to the other expressway. Man, you guys are still on you know rolling around the loop, and, and we're out on the beltway. You know, we're taking the toll road because it's because yeah, it's paying off because everybody pays tolls to drive you know right. we're, we're, we're the toll road we're the 99 we're the beltway eight around houston we get money to be on this thing man we might drive on it but we get money for it you can go yeah. sit in traffic around 610 loop and just keep circling around the, the toilet bowl with the conference that that it, if, if they're completely honest with themselves cannot sustain itself long term right and i will say um for texas a&m purposes and you know strictly being absolutely focused on ourselves i think the most important thing for us is and what is our goal as a program if i had to say our long-term goal as a football program you want to be a dominant dynasty of a football program and in order well yeah to, yeah into in, in order to accomplish that goal what's the first <laughs> thing we have to do we, we have, have to, to win, win the West, conference right yeah. then we have to win the conference and once you get the conference, you win the national title game, etc. We don't have to play Texas in order to accomplish that goal. There's so, there's no need to beef up your schedule knowing no. the gauntlet you run every year. And it's and and the one argument I always hear from them, or not argument, just blatant complaint, because this is a little petty, not little. This is their childish coming out. Sure. You know, they complain about the SEC bias, bro. NFL scouts aren't drafting people because they saw them on the sec network. They're drafting them because they're the best athletes that tra like that make that transition to the NFL. They're NFL ready athletes and especially along the line of scrimmage. No and so there are skilled players in, you know, 
in the Big Ten, it's the offensive linemen, uh, you know, and running backs. Uh, you know, in, in the ACC, it's just kind of all over the place. A lot of defensive ends, linebackers, slot receivers, some wide receivers. Pac-12 is all skill guys, running backs, right. quarterbacks, wide receivers. The yeah, man so out of the is a great melting pot the, of all. If if you had to look at probably the weakness, and not that it's a not that it's weak, but the weakness at conference in football is probably the quarterback position. Sure. And that's because, and even though these offenses are going more into a, a pro set, and I think you'll st- start to see that change as well. Sure. Um, this is a line it up and be a big boy, and run the ball league. Mm-hmm. And no matter how many touchdowns get scored in the NFL, that's still a line them up and run it, you know, big boy style league. Right. So it, th- that's what translates: is the big bodies, the strength, the the frightening combinations of of size strength and speed out of the linebackers and the ends, the physic, the, the, you know, the higher level of physicality you see out of the corners and safeties, right. as opposed to the more finesse that you see in the big 12 and the pac 12. Um, so it's, but so man, it's not an sec bias. Like your conference just sucks. It's, a, it's just I, a better conference. There's, it's they just, just, it's they're better. It's just the way it is. You, you know why it just means more? Because we're just the better conference. That's why it means more. more. Yeah, it means more because we're better. Right. And 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 I and I love well. You're riding the coattails of these other schools, and you're new to the SEC. Yeah. yeah but you know what? I, but you know what? I'm not Fair. old and old and decaying in the little twelve. Yes. All right. So, so. safe to say, uh, we have touched on some really good points uh, as far as the rivalry, and I'm sure this will not be the last time something like that will come around. I'm sure. Yeah, this with, time next year. Yeah, this time next year, I'm sure we'll have plenty of other uh, good football it, talk. Yeah, uh, it, it was. Talk. Yeah. Yeah, this was uh, this discussion was just moved up because we're not currently in the middle of conference play for baseball. Exactly. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, you know, we're not sitting here in the middle of July wondering what to talk about. Hey, let's talk about the yeah. rivalry. So, um, and, but, and and, pre- and prepare yourselves because we got a whole summer. Because right. I'm telling you right now, if they if they Zoom call these freaking the SEC meetings, oh man, some of the dumbest comments and topics are going to keep coming up because I get it. People have run out of things to write about and I, and I do, and I do get that, but man, it's, if you think it's dumb, it's going to get dumber. For sure. All Uh, right. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, needless to say, uh, we did touch on a very good topic last week and we more or less were cut short of that topic. But as you guys do know, our uh, co-host here, Roy was a tomb guard at the tomb of the unknown soldier. And that, or if you you don't know, yeah, if you don't know, (laughs) you know, if if this is your first episode, yeah, no, Roy is, uh, had the distinct honor of being able to do that. And it's a really unique opportunity and honestly, something that I'm, very impressed with and honest yeah I, something i didn't know about him until very recently so um we're gonna go over a few topics and it's gonna be more or less me asking him some of your common questions and really going over you know a daily life uh, how you become a tomb guard and all these other fun things well so i guess um i guess for the top my first question yeah it's you, yeah it's 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 one of those yeah yeah. So yeah. Well, have... it's one of those things where, and I remember the very, the very first day I sat down in training, um, my, my head trainer, you get two trainers, head trainers, his name is Eric Allstrand. He was badge number 480. 
And uh, he made this statement, and it was kind of just in passing, but it's always stuck with me. If you're going to be somewhere, why not do something great? Right. And, um, you know, and the old guard in and of itself is a phenomenal unit. Their mission is uh, – their ceremonial mission is important without a doubt. Uh, obviously, funerals um, in, in Arlington are, are primary. Uh, you know, you talk about ceremonies around the Capitol, uh, the White House, the Pentagon – you know, all that stuff is, uh, it, it's just, it's part of, of the military life. It's not all just kicking doors in and shooting dudes in the face. Right. So, um, but that, you know, that also is an important part, but, um, sure. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, it, it really kind of lends to the, um, importance of, of, uh, you know, drill and ceremony and that's a whole whatever, but, um, but yeah, so- but yeah, but it, well, he said that, and I was fascinated by that. But the the other thing uh, that that I I got in my uh, relief commander, his name was Eric Colasar, and he was one of the best dudes I ever got to work with, work for. He's also one of one of the best guys I ever got to know. Um, and he, uh, you know, he said, you, "This is might be one of the greatest, if not the greatest, thing you ever do in your life." But don't let this be your life. You know, don't go through the rest of your life saying, "Hey, I'm Roy May." Uh, did you know I was a tomb guard? Right. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's 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 a it's a defining moment um, of your life and a defining era. But at the same time, you know the great things that we all do in life, we can't let that define our life because you just have so much more potential. And and while you know you're 21 years old as an 18, 19, 20, 21, becoming a tomb guard, that probably the greatest thing you've done so far. Probably. But man, you've just got so much more life to live and so many other things to do. So I guess my very first question for you is going to be um, really kind of focused in on how does one become a tomb guard? Like what's kind of the process? This, I mean, I'm selecting process, however that works. You just go ahead and take it from here. Uh, all right. Well, obviously you have to be in the old guard. It's the third uh, infantry regiment in, uh, in D.C. It's actually at Fort Myer, Virginia, which is right across the river. Fort Myer backs directly up to... Uh, to Arlington National Cemetery. Right. And uh, you just have to be in the Old Guard. It doesn't matter what unit you're in or what you do in the Old Guard. If you're a soldier, you can volunteer. And the tomb is uh, the tomb platoon is one of the specialty platoons you can volunteer for. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have the, um, you know, the drill team. Um, they have uh, presidential guns, but you actually have to be at 11 Charlie. You have to be a mortar guy to do that. But So they've got some specialty platoons, the caisson platoon, the horse-drawn carriages. So you volunteer. Uh, and you have to have been in the old guard for a certain period of time before you can volunteer. But uh, once you volunteer, you go, and at the tomb, there's your initial training cycle. We could call it TDY because you're on loan from your company. It's a two-week cycle. Um, you receive – and the, um, the amount of knowledge in the knowledge packet has changed since I've been down there because, holy crap, it's been 20 years. Wow. Um, <laughs> but uh, so you – learn there's three aspects that you're tested on you're tested on your uniform your outside performance and then your knowledge and uh, uniform is obviously pretty straightforward um, everything down there is measured uh, to a sixteenth of an inch they take it a little bit further um, we used to take it really extreme uh, on our relief because right. I was because I was second relief and, and the deuce is always the best um, but uh, that, that's an undisputed fact I, I don't care what anybody else says but um, <laughs> 
but so you go down there for two weeks and you learn, you know, the, the sequence of the guard change, you learn kind of where your stopping points are. You know, if you've gone to look or you have pictures, you can see kind of rust stains. That's where the steel from underneath the shoes gets embedded in the marble a little bit and just oxidizes. So you can kind of tell where the dudes are going to go before they go. Right. Um, and there's a place you got to stop. And then your knowledge, you receive your first eight pages. Mm -hmm. And your knowledge test is you have to pass it off orally, and then you also have to write it out uh, word for word. That Jeez. includes spelling. Yeah, it includes spelling and punctuation. Um, <laughs> So, because every everything down there is attention to detail, you know, right. and so, uh, um, so if you get the end of those two weeks and you pass all three phases of your test, then you get assigned your relief, and that's really when your training starts. Mm -hmm. I bet. And so, <clears throat> at that point, it's still the same three phases of testing, but you have four tests to to get through to earn your badge. It's test one, test two, a test we call full rotation, and then your badge test. Uh, test one and test two, you'll receive more of your knowledge packet. When I was there, it was uh, I want to say 17 pages total. Okay. Uh, you know, it includes poems. It, uh, you know, like a poem by Audie Murphy. It includes obviously your general orders, your special orders, the Sentinels' Creed, the Vigil, um, information about the tomb itself, the actual. Uh, I mean, you learn like the actual weight and the even the measurements and and everything. Um, you uh, there's over 300. I want to say over 320. I think important military figures buried in Arlington National Cemetery. You have to know, you know, their name, rank, their section. Um, and then while you go through training, you actually learn about them, so you're not just spewing kind of verbatim. You know, learning things without actually learning them. Right. Um, and uh, so you get through, and every, every with each test, it becomes increasingly harder because you're allowed less gigs. Uh, you know, less gigs on your uniform, less gigs on uh, your outside performance, uh, same with your knowledge. So the first three tests, one, two, and full rotation, same thing, oral with the knowledge, and then you have to write it all out. And the 17 pages of writing it down is monstrously miserable. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it might have just been might have just been the TDY packet, though. Uh, literally, it's two decades ago. It's insane to me. It's been um, a minute. <laughs> Yeah, and then part of the uniform, uh, part of the part of the uniform test is when they're done inspecting you, they they do what's called a dress drill, and uh, that means you have three minutes. They say three minutes go, and you have three minutes to be back in the very spot you're standing, uh, in whatever uniform they tell you to get into. Wow. But you also have what's called your rack, which is where you you know hang your uniforms. Then you also have uh, a flag, a, a small American flag that. You have backed with tapes. You can keep track of your uh, walks and wreaths on the back. You know your cover, your gloves, a little handkerchief. The keepers are the keepers around your um, around your gloves are white Velcro. They hold them down and tight. Uh, right. I put a military coin in your shades, and all those have to be lined up perfectly too. So, uh, so if you fail the dress drill, you fail the uniform test. Right. Um, but uh, and so you, and so they allow less and less. Um, gigs in major and minor, and then full. The reason they call it full rotation is once you've passed full rotation, that means that you are uh, kind of qualified or good enough to be on the full rotation of walks. Because before you pass, or until you pass full rotation, from 10:30 to 2:30 or 10 to 2:30 was kind of that. You know, that's like you're just not good enough to be outside. And while you absolutely do not do the job for the gap, you know, the great American public. We also understand that they're out there and watching, and they have cameras, and they have video cameras. And so uh, once you have full rotation, that means you perform to uh, a standard that is good enough to be outside any time of the day. Right. Uh, and then your, ba then your badge test, uh, there are no major gigs allowed outside. There are no major gigs. It's only minor gigs. 
um, a major gig. There are there are certain kind of breaks in the in the marble where obviously they have like the kind of the filler in between, um, and you're supposed to tow these lines when you hit them. Uh, if you're over the line at all, it's an automatic major gig, um, and if you're short of the line, normally it's about an inch. You get about an inch worth of, of leeway, but if if you're an inch or more uh, short of the line, that's a major gig. Um, it's uh, yeah, I mean it's really intense, but you have to realize how much time you spend doing this. I mean this is all you do, you know. Right. Um, and you know, and, and night hours when you're in training, you pull the majority of the night hours, and the only way you stay awake is to train yourself. So you're right. walking, you're, you're you're just doing guard change after guard change, and walk, 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 and um. And then your badge test for uh, your knowledge test for your badge test is the only time it's different. It's a hundred question test, and it's not in order or anything. So that's for them to find out if you actually learned your knowledge. Right. So, um, so uh, once that's complete, you earn your badge. I was fortunate enough to. Uh, I'm badge number five zero four. Okay. Uh, uh, they are up in the mid to high 600s now, I believe. Okay. Maybe up around 670 or 680. I'm not quite sure. Um, I haven't I haven't asked what the badge number is, but uh, but then you, you know your tour down there is 18 to 24 months, give or take. Some guys stay a lot longer. Um, well, not a lot longer. The most I've ever seen is three years down there, uh, at least consecutively. Um, and you just go, man. You you, you go, you work, and and every day it's. You know, I think we talked about this. You know, your job is to train the people coming after you to fill your shoes. Right. Um, so, uh, but it, it seems like the symbolism of it, obviously, I don't think that's lost on really anybody. Um, no, not at all. You know, the, the the unknown soldier, the one that truly gave his life and anonymity for you know for his country. Uh, obviously, if if you've maybe you haven't been there, you don't know. The Vietnam Unknown was disinterred in '98 and identifies Captain Michael J. Blassie. Um, he is buried in Schofield National uh, Cemetery. Um, uh, Schofield Cemetery. I think I got that right. I was never good at knowledge. I was really good at my uniform, and I was awesome outside. <laughs> my knowledge was meh. Um, but uh, so enough, yeah, that's good, not... good enough to pass eventually. Dude, I met the standard, man. That's All right. right. <laughs> yeah, and and that's you know. In theory, oh, and on the hundred, uh, the hundred question test, you have to have a ninety. So it's not, oh, wow. you know, it's it's, it's not, well, it's not insane when you think no. about the other standards. But um, so yeah, um, that's I mean that's kind of the process of becoming a tomb guard. Um, you know, your and your life it changes. You know, once you get your badge, your life is just completely different. And they've redone the quarters down there a handful of times since I left. Um, in fact, when I when I finished down there, they were still in a in a like a a trailer, like a temporary, you know, T building because they were renovating the, the quarters. Right. But, um, but you know, when you're a new man, when I was down in the quarters, um, the only two places you could talk freely was the bunk room and the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Um, if you were anywhere else in the quarters, uh, Oh, in the dungeon, we just call it the dungeon. They actually concreted it in, but it's oh, where okay. like the steam, the, the steam, the steam press machine was, uh, the rouge machine, because uh, we we rouge all our brass, um, and that's also where the new men kept their racks, so the badge holders didn't have to see their garbage uniforms. Um, <laughs> but uh, but um, but outside of that, you know, uh, you know, you it's everything you do is is has a you know it's, everything you do tra it trains for a purpose. You know, don't talk. Doesn't matter how much you want to talk, because when you're out on the map, you're not going to hold a conversation with some tourist. <laughs> so it's right. You know, le learn learn just to be quiet all the time. Um, 
So there's a lot of stuff that goes on when you're in training. Uh, every day uh, you have to do three hours of mirror time. That means you're literally doing rifle manual in front of a mirror for three hours. Uh, you log it throughout the day. You have to hit your three hours. Um, you have to call uh, uh, quarter tills, which is 15 minutes until the guard change. It's just to uh, announce to let other badge holders know if they're down the quarters um, and kind of do some other stuff to let them know if they're up next because the schedule is made first thing in the morning. You know, if they're up next, it's about time to start getting ready to get out the door. Uh, it normally takes two to three sentinels to get one guy out the door. Uh, you get in uniform, but then uh, the belt, the ceremonial belt you wear, like I was, I think I was a, what, a 32 pants and I had my belt somewhere around like 26 or 27. So they kind of wrench it down and right. there's kind of a certain way they do the blouse. Um, and, you know, they got to put your keepers on and, and tape you off to make sure there's no, um, you know, hair or lint or whatever on, on your uniform. So it's it's a bit of a process to get dudes out the door. Um, you know, in the summertime, it's 30 minutes in the hour. You know, in the, in the wintertime, it's an hour long. Right. Re-ceremonies, you know, minimize that. But it's it, to be out there is uh, – uh, it, it's just – you, know, you, you go through training and all you can think about is like passing the next test and the next task. And then all of a sudden you realize that all this work that you put in has paid off because you've managed to, to pass this test and earned the, uh, the second rarest badge in the military um, because they just came up with a badge for the case on platoon. So, but, um, but if you don't count that, it's the second uh, uh, least awarded badge in history uh, behind the army astronaut device, which they don't award anymore. They're, they're you know, the army doesn't have an astronaut program anymore. Right. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of army, you know, go on to the astronaut program, but that's all NASA and government now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, man, it's, uh, you get out there and, and your first walk and, and really even your first time stepping out there in training, if, you know, five fifteen in the morning. And it's, it's hard to explain. Um, it's just the, the, this overwhelming, it's, you know, early in your training, it's this overwhelming feeling of dread that you're going to screw up. Not because you get yelled at, because, I mean, you've already been through basic training and all that. You've been yelled at. Um, it's, you, you get this feeling like you don't want to screw up because you truly want to do this job to properly honor the unknowns. And, and the further you get through training, the more intense that desire becomes. Um, but the dread gets a little bit less because you know you suck less. You know, if you pass a right. test, you, know, you, know, you must be getting a little bit better at least. Um, and you can retake every test twice. If you fail, you, you have the option to go back to day one of training or you can just go back to, to your uh, company. So that's kind of the process. That's the process. It sounds like a nice – that's a nice full process for sure. There's just so many intricate parts, and that's just so fascinating to me, just the little nuances that you have to do just in order to even, I mean, make it to certain levels of this thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow. You, uh, I mean, part of your mirror time, I, I used to do this regularly, was timing your 21s. Mm -hmm. um, because so uh, what it is is uh, so you, know, you walk up and you'll see the sentinel uh, you know, walking down the mat. He, clicks and then he faces the two and clicks at that point he counts to 21 and then he faces back down the mat changes shoulders because the rifle is always uh between himself and the crowd he always keeps it towards the crowd's shoulder mm. you count to 21 and then you step off 21 obviously everything in 21s it's represent the 21 gun salute which is the highest military honor right. uh, you can bestow on anyone and so with those 21 seconds, you'll be out there walking and, and you know, you've got shades on. So you can kind of peek around a little bit. If it's not, if it's not a cloudy or rainy day, you've got shades on. 
And so you're kind of peeking around every once in a while, and you will see people with their watches timing you on your 21s because they're really curious. Right. And uh, so part of part of mirror time, I used to do it. I used to try and do it every day for 15, 20 minutes. Literally stand there, like look at the clock, and then it's like you're you're facing away from the clock. You're kind of perpendicular there. Yeah. Instead of facing forward to it, you're you're, you're facing movement right or left, mm. and look away, count to 21, turn and click, and then look at the clock and see if you got it right. And then just turn back and do it again. And then just turn back and do it again. And this time, and it's it's Practice crazy. Perfect. Well, you get yeah, you get to the point where your twenty ones tend to be really really close. Right. Um, and uh, it's funny because you do it so much with your mirror, uh, like your mirror time, and, and just everything being in twenty ones. It was this way for me. I've talked to some buddies that were the same way. It's crazy because. When you first start doing it, you think this is impossible. Hey, this is insane. This is going to be the one thing that uh, it literally gets me kicked out. I can do everything else, and I can't. I can't count to 21 with the proper Mississippi's. Um, <laughs> you know, and I was a I was a 1,001, 1,002. I'm not a Mississippi guy. Um, but in case anybody wondered how I counted seconds, um, <laughs> but, uh, um, but I, I got to where my 21s were. I mean, you you really do get to the point where you are almost dead on 21. You just get to that point where you're good at it. And uh, it's funny because you do it for so long and then you walk a bunch. And once you're a batch holder, you're walking a ton. You know, you're out there because you love it. And right when you, but, you know, the first three to five months after you get your badge, you're in the most prime walking condition, period. Like your, your body's perfectly in sync, all your posture, you know, all your endurance is kind of built up for walking properly because we walk a little different. It's one foot in front of the other. You roll your foot from the outside of the heel up to the toe. Um, but it's the best you'll ever be on the mat. It's like you will so tight. Just everything you do, just the tightest tomb guard that, that you can be. And you, it's funny because you'll get out there and you, and you, you know, you walk down the mat and you heel click and you face the tomb and you heel click, and uh, and you're like one one thousand two one. You're like oh, wonder what I'm gonna have for lunch today. And you're like man, I could really go for some of that ramen that's down there. Oh, and your body goes hey twenty one. You're like oh yeah, and you just turn and click. <laughs> And you're still hitting your 21s. It's hilarious. Like then you change your shoulders, and you're you know you're looking down the mat. You're like one one thousand two. There's like a bunch of World War II vests down there, and you start thinking about it. Like your mind goes to all the history movies you've seen. You know, your body's like, dude, step off, and you step off. Like, your body's like, dude, spend 21 seconds. Go, 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 go. Mm. Um, so it's it's the little stuff that gets ingrained. I got to the point where from 10 feet away, if you had something off that was a 16th an inch on, on your uniform, I could see it. It looked it looked crooked as the day is long right. um, just because that's your job, you know, uh, and, and it's an important job and, you know, and it's, I think it shows the, the depth of uh, kind of attention to detail um, that the more special jobs in the military across the whole possess. And, you know, a lot of people get assigned to the old guard and they're coming from an infantry and they've been deployed and they're like, this is stupid. I don't want to do freaking drill and ceremony. But one, they tend to be NCOs, so they realize that it's the job and that's what they already told you to do. And two, you realize that there is an incredible importance in what the old guard does. Oh, no doubt. You know, and it's that attention to detail is, and that's why you see uh, a, a ton of former tomb guards. You know, these guys go on and, you know, they get through flight school for the Army or they go through the warrant officer program or, or they go they get out, go to college on green to gold. You know, these are, you know, it, it's a real type A personality. Um you know, no, nobody, nobody kind of gets, uh, you know, persuaded to go to the tomb. You, you're either the kind of person who wants to put yourself through that or you're not. Mm -hmm. And training, training tends to last around six months or so. 
takes about six months, give or take, to get your badge. I got mine in five months and six days. Would have been sooner, but in those five months and six days, I went out to the bar twice, and it bit me in the ass twice. I bet. So, yeah. Yeah, because so the schedule is it's like a fireman's schedule. It's 24 on, 24 off, on, off, on, four days off. Mm. Um, so as a new man, you're four days. I mean, literally, you just spend them shining shoes, doing uniform knowledge. That's, I mean, that's all you do, man. It's just, it's just, it's your life. And if you really care about it and you think it's important, then you're going to spend that time. You're going to do it. So, uh, so yeah, man, I, I would, I would pay a ton of money to go back and change the guard one more time. You get to a point where you've been a badge holder long enough. You actually get to learn to change the guard. If you're not already like a staff NCO coming down. Um, and, uh, and my relief commander, uh, Colasar, the dude was a beast. He was an all army wrestler. Uh, he had been, uh, he had spent, I think it was like, I remember it was one or three months in Thailand training in Muay Thai. Like the army mm-hmm. sent him over there to learn Muay Thai. Um, the, the dude was just a general badass. He still is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and his, uh, his weapons inspection was just so violent. Um, you know, every slap and everything was just, you, you thought he was going to, he broke one dude's thumb one time on the give back. Um, mm-hmm. it was, it was hilarious. Um, uh, but, um, but so I, but so I got, you know, I, I was trained by a guy who, who had that real severe kind of high velocity, but high precision, uh, weapons inspection. And, uh, like, you know, yeah, I don't want to say or toot my own horn, but there were two things I was really good at, at the, at the tomb. And that was walking and that was my rifle manual, whether it be on the, on the mat or, or my, or my inspection. And so, uh, man, I, God, I loved it. I would pay so much money to go change the guard. And if you're curious and you're a military nerd, they carry M14s to walk. Uh, the guy that changes carries a nine mil, uh, no, excuse me. Uh, Glock's just sent down some special, uh, uh, sidearms. Mm. So re, re, yeah, uh, read up about that actually. Was it Glock? Okay. No, no, excuse me, not Glock. Uh, SIG, excuse me. Ah, it was okay. SIG. Yeah. So, so look it up. Um, very, very cool. Uh, and then, uh, if you walk, you don't wear rank, you wear everything else, but you don't wear your rank. We talked about this. It's right. so, you, so you, uh, you, you don't know what the rank of the unknowns are. So you don't wear any rank to ensure that you don't outrank the unknowns. It's, it's just kind of a courtesy. Um, I'm trying to think other than that, people always have a million questions. I'm trying to, well, I guess, uh, it, I guess I'll, I'll kick out one for you. Uh, you know, I mean, and I've, we've discussed this before, but, um, so as far as the unknowns, I mean, exactly how many unknowns are there? That we so, have? so well, just there, there, uh, you know, at at the tomb itself. Right. Um, the tomb itself, that big thing isn't a tomb. It's actually just a huge marble cap. Right. You can find some old videos where the base and the sub base is really where the crypt is. Mm-hmm. So you have the World War One unknown. You have uh, the World War Two unknown, the Korean War unknown, and then the Vietnam unknown crypt is is the one in the middle. And in 98, when uh, they disinterred Captain Blassie, uh, when they put the crypt cover back on, they actually made an inscription on it says, uh, honoring and keeping faith with America's missing servicemen. And then all the crypts have the dates on it. So that says 1958 to 1975. Right. Um, so there are three sets of unknowns uh, there at the tomb, the Vietnam crypt being empty. There are over 2,000 unknowns in Arlington National Cemetery. Wild. I want to say like 26 or 2700, but again, I wasn't good at knowledge when it was my job. So right, but yeah, that's just 
I mean, it's such a cool and unique thing uh, here in the United States that we 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 take you know such great care to understand and reflect and appreciate those that once again not only did sacrifice but sacrifice and we don't even know who they are. It's well, and what's 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 funny about that is. Um, and I don't know the you know the established dates for all the others. It was 11 November 1921 uh, was um, the World War One unknown when it was interred. Right. And uh, see, I still remember some of them. 11 November 1921. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, and uh, but there are countries all over the world. And this is kind of a bucket list uh, for me. And it's really, I don't want to say it's like just the Allied countries, but you can find the changing of the guard for different countries, unknown soldier, and they're all fascinating. I just want to go see them just because as a tomb guard, I want to go to the next one and be like, bro, I was a tomb guard in America. What's up? Pound it. Let's go get a beer. Right. Um, but but, uh, but uh, it, it's just, it really is. Um, in Arlington National Cemetery, I always said I had the coolest cubicle in America. Um, you know, obviously very somber uh, right. And everywhere you turn is a reminder of, you know, just, uh, you know, what's occurred in history. But uh, it's also just such a, the tours that, back when I, you know, had the knowledge, you know, I, I could pass the knowledge test. And, um, you know, I used to, when you're in training, you run for headstones. So let's say, all right, they'll give you a clue about a guy. They will give you the name. They'll give you a clue about the guy. And you have blank amount of time to say go. So you got to figure out who it is, grab paper, pencil, run to it get a scratching so that you can prove that you were there and then come back. And so you just learn so much about the cemetery and, uh, and we got to the point where a lot of our trainers were giving us people that weren't the knowledge just to learn more, you know, the more you know about it. And the historian when I was there was Tom Sherlock. And, uh, I believe he might, I can't remember what Tom's doing now. Tom was one of two civilians to ever have earned their tomb guard badge. Um, Tom, Tom is just uh, an absolutely phenomenal human being. And uh, we would just sit around and pick his brain for hours, the things you learn about the cemetery. But I will say one thing about uh, ANC. Um, if you don't ever believe in ghosts, if you end up stationed in, you know, if you end up as a tomb guard, bro, you will absolutely believe in ghosts. That place <laughs> yeah. is so, so creepy. But uh, but at the same time, it's, you know, at nighttime, it's so peaceful. I would... Uh, Back when I was, we'll call it trimmer and younger, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I'd go out at night once I was a badge holder, you know, in the evenings I could go do PT while the, uh, you know, while the new guys were out pulling night hours. And I would run from the tomb to the Capitol and back. It was about 10 miles. Wow. And, uh, you know, nighttime in D.C., um, you know, you start off running through the cemetery, so it's always just quiet. I mean, all you can hear is your breathing and your, and your you know, shoes hitting the pavement. You kind of wiggle through the gate. Um, I, I think we were allowed to. I did. Um, and then you really, you literally run down the mall and it was, it's just so, it's so beautiful. And, uh, the only time I would stop running, I always used to stop and walk through, uh, the Vietnam wall the, on the way to the Capitol and back. Right. And you know, my dad's a Vietnam vet. Um, so I always stopped and walked through it. The wall at night is, um, you know, it's just heartbreakingly beautiful. Uh, you know, the Korean war Memorial in DC after it snows, it's so surreal to look at, you know, the statues are so lifelike in the snow and knowing the misery that, that Korean, uh, war veterans went through and and then also you're just i mean you're running on the mall man because you you got to run to lincoln you got to run the stairs and go say hey to abe right. you know and run back down and yeah and when you come back you got to run back up and say hey to abe <laughs> it's just and and but you know those are experiences those are the ones you know the traffic and oh the god-awful winters for me as a texas boy right. um were, were tough but 
it just it was just such a unique and awesome experience to not only live in the nation's capital but um, you know to, to to be to have one of the most humbling positions on the planet and being able to be a tomb guard let's say that sounds like such a unique life experience and i mean it's just so cool to be you know chatting about this with somebody who you know actually got to experience that i mean i had the opportunity to go visit you know arlington national cemetery i must have been i don't know probably 12 13 something i was gonna say if you were i was gonna say if you went with your middle school and you laid a wreath you have to tell me the date i can probably tell you who laid your wreath (laughs) yeah Yeah, so we we got the chance to go and um you know got to experience you know obviously the guards going and you know saw change and and Mm -hmm. i will say probably one of the most interesting thing was during a change uh one of the guys that was you know doing the change actually made an adjustment on the uniform Oh yeah, and we were sitting there. My dad looked at me and said, "Oh, he's getting griped at later." <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's not just for show, man. Um, no, there was I, I and I used to love it. I'd change the guard, and you'd have a, a, a you know a new man standing there in the inspection block, and they're just hoping to God they haven't screwed up because exactly. they know if they, they know if they did, like, bro, we ain't leaving here till six thirty in the morning. We got a lot of time to fix this, and uh, and. Uh, so I always used to kind of mess with the new men when they were out there, you know, acting like something on their uniform was totally jacked up or screwed up. And, mm-hmm. you know, you're so close that you can actually, like, nobody can hear you. So I'd act like I was picking something off the uh, off their uniform be like, Ugh, like, give them a growl. Just, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just, That's awesome. Yeah, as, as if it's not high enough um, stress to be in training and trying not to screw up everything. Right. Um, but... That is yeah, great. man. I so awesome. tell you what, if, if anybody's got any other questions, uh, where, whatever we post them, just uh, just post the questions below. If maybe somebody didn't cover, I'll I'll go over in the next day or two and uh, answer anything I might have missed. Absolutely, folks. That'd be awesome. Well, I will. I've got some fun news. Um, so just kind of as we're getting ready to wrap up here. So, you know, as much as I'm sure you guys love to talk about my band and listen to my band, uh, we actually got to the point where we just hit uh, 10,000 uh, monthly listeners on Spotify, which is just an absolutely I incredible saw... number. I can't believe we hit Congrats. it. Congrats. Yeah, I, I'm blown away. I'm just so thankful. For all you folks, whether you're you know listening to the podcast or not, you know all you people sitting out here just getting continuing to give us streams. I mean, absolutely love that. We appreciate that what, so what, much. What, what do you mean, you people? What do you mean, you people? <laughs> yeah, but I will say this. So, um, fun fact: we actually have a new song dropping on May 10th. Is going to be coming out. We uh, recorded a tune. And it's pretty much been ready to go uh for the past like month and a half but with everything going on our we weren't able to actually finish mixing and mastering it uh but you know our our sound engineer was finally able to get that taken care of so the new song is going to be coming out here on the 10th it's going to be called tell me what you need uh it's going to be a great little tune a little bit more laid back than bye bye but it's going to be a good one and I really can't wait to get that going. I'm excited to get that going. I'm excited for you, man. Yeah. Yeah. Well, make sure uh, make make sure you cross link it uh, here with the podcast and stuff too, so people can can link on and you know if if they think we're not there. Yeah, fingers <laughs> crossed. That'd be good. 
All right. Well, I will say this, folks. Um, all right, we're kind of getting ready to wrap it up here, but uh, don't forget to go follow us on spot on uh, Spotify, and yeah, that's where we. Yeah, that's where we're set up. Uh, be sure to give us a follow on social media. Roy May 15 on Twitter. Robert underscore yep. White 14 on Twitter, as well as Red Ass Podcast on Twitter. The shirts are still coming. I've been stupid busy at work, so I haven't really had a lot of time to sit down and work on the designs. I'm going to see what I can do this weekend. Uh, but everything else... I think looks good for here. So yeah, yeah, we'll yeah we'll drop them as soon as we get them. We'll try and have a couple ready before we obviously drop them. Um, you know, once we get the designs kind of done, we got to make sure we finalize with the company. So right. they're they're coming. Um, but I but I guess I can go ahead and uh, um, should I just go ahead and tease one of the shirts? Do it. Why not? Should, 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 should I do the taxes one or should I do the other one? Do the other one. Okay. Um, so there will, from what I've heard, most likely be a shirt that says, uh, baseball bubbles, Battlestar Galactica. There may be a slight office reference on a shirt. It might be a little bit, a little bit. So, all right, man. Hey, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, and like he said, man, tune into his band. His band kicks it. Absolutely. It's phenomenal. Listen. Um, and I, if somebody asked about iTunes, I don't know, uh, I don't know if that's coming soon or if we might start kicking it up to iTunes, but if we do, obviously we'll let you guys know. Absolutely. Uh, and keep, send, keep sending in your topics and questions too. Anything you guys want to hear us literally run our mouths about for no good reason. Absolutely, folks. Hey, we do appreciate y'all checking in on the Red Ass Podcast, Episode 5. We will catch y'all in Episode 6. Gig'em. Right on. Gig'em. <laughs>